the glorious voice there of Montserrat Caballé singing D'Amor sulla Lirosei from Verdi's Il Trovatore in that 1974 recording with the Barcelona Symphony Orchestra conducted by Gianfranco Massini. My name is Adrian Fox and tonight I have the pleasure of presenting to you here on Fine Music Radio a tribute to soprano Montserrat Caballé who celebrates her 80th birthday today. In her last press interview, mere days before her death, Maria Callas was asked by Philippe Coloni whether, in her estimation, she had any real successes. She responded by stating unequivocally, only Montserrat Caballé. In 1980, Renata Tebaldi was asked what she thought of the state of singing around the world. Her answer was simple, there is just one prima donna left, Montserrat Caballé. That same year, Magda Olivero, one of the last great Verismo sopranos, was quoted as saying, We singers should get down on our knees and thank God for a voice like Caballé's. All three divas were right. Montserrat Caballé, or La Superba as she has come to be known, is rightfully regarded as one of the greatest singers in the history of opera. According to biographers Robert Pullen and Stephen J. Taylor, her greatness as an artist has primarily been founded on her vocal qualities. One of the most beautiful and versatile voices in recorded history allied to a virtually flawless technique. In addition, few other singers in the annals of opera can claim such an all-encompassing repertoire, which includes virtually the entire range of Italian light lyric, lyrico spinto, and dramatic roles, bel canto, verdi, verismo, and French repertoire, whilst simultaneously being a noted and remarkable interpreter of Wagner and Strauss, most notably Zalome, Sieglinde, and Isolde. In tonight's program, we will take a closer look at the career and artistry of this remarkable singer. But before we continue, just a reminder that you can download a copy of this broadcast from our website On and Off the Record, www.onandofftherecord.com, which should be available in about a day or two's time. And if you have any questions, queries, or comments, you are welcome to phone me here in the studio on 021-401-1013 during tonight's broadcast, or contact me via email at adrian at onandofftherecord.com.
Montserrat Caballé there singing Depuis le Jour from Louise, and that particular recording featured the Barcelona Symphony Orchestra conducted by Carlo Felice Cilario in that 1964 recording. Born in 1933 into a poor family in Barcelona, the story is told that shortly after Caballé's birth, she began to turn inexplicably black and by all accounts was not expected to survive. In desperation, her mother prayed to the famous Black Virgin of Montserrat, kept in a monastery in the mountains above Barcelona, where the Holy Virgin was said to have appeared centuries ago. Miraculously, Caballé made an astounding recovery, attributed to the Black Virgin's powers, and her parents, in gratitude, named her Montserrat. The Caballé family experienced great hardship during the immediate post-Civil War years. 
yet through the unconditional support she received from her parents as well as from a wealthy local family, Caballé was able to fund her music studies at the Barcelona Conservatory, which started in 1947 at the tender age of 13. Her first professional engagement in Pergolesi's La Serva Pedrona occurred in 1955, shortly before her 22nd birthday. A year later, in 1956, she signed a three-year contract with the Basel Opera in Switzerland, where she appeared in her first major role, Mimi in Puccini's La Bohème. During her time in Switzerland, Caballé acquired mostly German repertoire, including Wagner parts such as Elsa in Lohengrin, Elisabeth in Tannhäuser, and Eva in Die Meistertsinger, as well as Strauss parts, parts such as Chrysotemis in Elektra and the title role in Arabella. Italian parts were few and far between, but included Tosca, Aida, which was heard 26 times in one season alone, and Neda in I Pagliacci. Caballé's singular excursion into the French repertoire was to sing all three ladies in the tales of Hoffman in one evening. Various Mozart roles also featured prominently in her repertoire during her early years in Switzerland, including the Countess in Le Nozze di Figaro, Pamina in Die Zauberflute, Donna Alvera, of which she would go on to sing more than 400 performances in her career, in Don Giovanni, of course, and then Fior de Ligi in Così Fantute. Here is the aria Lo Sguardo Avea degli Angeli from Act One of Verdi's I Masnadieri, with a new Philharmonia orchestra conducted by Lamberto Gardelli in this 1974 recording.
Lo Sguardo Avea Deli Angeli, from Act One of Verdi's I Mas Nadieri, as sung there by Montserrat Caballé, and the conductor Lamberto Gardelli there leading the new Philharmonia Orchestra in that 1974 recording. After three years in Basel, Caballé moved to Bremen in Germany, where she added new roles to her repertoire, including Violetta in La Traviata. That same year, she also made an immensely successful debut at the Vienna State Opera as Zalume, incidentally her favourite role, for which she was awarded the House's Gold Medal for the best Strauss singing of the season. The following year she made her La Scala debut as the first flower maiden in Parsifal, but this did not lead to any further major invitations. Immensely despondent that her career was not progressing as she had hoped, and missing her parents and native Spain tremendously, Caballé's spirits were at a terrible low. I was an idealistic, enthusiastic young girl, she noted. Music was embracing me all the time. I wanted to do something through music, and when these aspirations didn't look as if they were going to be realized, I felt deceived and disappointed in myself. I was ready to quit my career. It was at this crucial point in time that Caballé's brother, Carlos, then aged 19, changed her mind and the course of her career. Carlos Caballé suggested to his sister that he act as her manager, secretary and assistant. Give me a year, and if by the end you are not satisfied, you can pack up and come home, he reasoned. The bet paid off. A year later, Caballé was singing in Lisbon, Mexico City, and at the Lucerne Festival, and soon the stage was set for the unfolding of her illustrious international career. In 1964, Caballé married tenor Barnaby Marti, whom she met when he sang Pinkerton to her butterfly at the Lithéo. I'm probably the only butterfly who got the chance to marry her Pinkerton, she once jokingly remarked. The pair have two children, and Caballé has often commented on how she has found in her family a support that most other singers lack, which is why they don't feel as confident as I do, she noted. Confidence has nothing to do with prestige, money, success or fame, and everything to do with human relationships. At the time of her debut at the Lithu, as Arabella in 1961, Caballé still thought of herself primarily as a German singer. 
While in Barcelona, however, she came into contact with the conductor Carlo Felici Cilario, who, despite her protestations, persuaded her to include a bel canto aria, the mad scene from Donizetti's Anna Bolena, on her first recording, which he conducted. She reluctantly agreed, and was soon to discover how right and pathetic his insistence that she undertake bel canto would be. Here now is the first section of the mad scene from Donizetti's Anna Bolena, taken from that very first recording, which dates from 1964. Carlo Felice Cellario conducts the Barcelona Symphony Orchestra.
the Cavatina al Dolce Guidami from the finale of Donizetti's opera Anna Bolena, as sung there by Montserrat Caballé with the Barcelona Symphony Orchestra conducted by Carlo Felici Cellario in that 1964 recording. In early April 1965, Caballé received a telegram from the American Opera Society asking her to replace Marilyn Horne, who was expecting a baby, at a concert performance of Donizetti's Lucrezia Borgia at Carnegie Hall. Here is Marilyn Horne talking about Caballé's legendary debut. I was scheduled to sing Lucrezia Borgia, and uh, very happily I was having a baby then. And they got Montserrat to um, come in. Nobody knew her. One of the greatest overnight successes ever, that she just took New York by storm. And if you can do that, then you're in in this country, that's for sure. According to Ira Sif, who was also present at that performance on the 20th of April 1965, no one knew quite what to expect. Caballé made her entrance to polite applause and began to sing the recitative and aria Come Bello. Suddenly, people sat up and leafed through their programs to check exactly what that name was. At the end of the recitative, a scale ascending up to a high B-flat was voiced in ethereal pianissimo, the likes of which no one had heard for years, if ever. At the end of the aria, crowned with another breathtaking pianissimo, pandemonium ensued. Montserrat Caballé had arrived. Let's listen now to a recording of the recitative Tranquillo e Posa and aria Come Bello from Lucrezia Borgia by Donizetti. And this recording that I'm going to play to you was recorded that same year that she made her miraculous Carnegie Hall debut. But before we do, a short extract from an interview with Lois Kirschbaum, who was present in the audience that evening. So the night of the performance, I, I was in the lobby and there were tens of people selling their tickets because Marilyn had cancelled. Finally, we all get inside and we're awaiting the performance and the performance begins. I slumped in my seat. <laughs> I, yeah, it was incredible. I, had, I never thought I would hear singing quite like that. It was just a... You had to be there to believe what you were hearing. Your ears... You, you couldn't believe your own ears. It just, it carried you away, it transported you. It really did. It was a, a very special, a very special sound. Very special.
Come Bello from Donizetti's Lucrezia Borgia, sung there, of course, by Montserrat Caballere, and with the London Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Carlo Felici Cellario in that 1965 recording. Caballé's performance in Lucrezia Borgia provoked a sensation and bowled over the staunch New York critics who unanimously hailed her as a born bel canto singer. The following day, the front page headline in the New York Times read, Calas plus de Baldi equals Caballé. To her fortune, there were a large number of record producers, agents and other opera experts in the audience that evening who were immediately struck by the statuesque 32-year-old Spaniard. According to reports, record producers scuffled to her dressing room after the performance to sign her on their artist roster, while the American Opera Society immediately engaged her for further performances in bel canto operas during the next season, including Donizetti's Roberto Devereux and Bellini's La Straniera. Caballé's appearance in Lucrezia Borgia would prove a turning point in her career. Though she would never renounce her German repertoire, she would henceforth be known primarily as a singer of Italian opera, and she was particularly in demand for the more dramatic Donizetti, Rossini and early Verdi roles, which, according to Rupert Christensen, had long been awaiting a voice like hers. Caballé's most obvious vocal virtues is the exquisite and sumptuous colour and beautiful timbre of her voice, its uniformity across registers, its velvety texture and power. In his treatise Great Voices, Jens Malte Fischer wrote that the sheer beauty of Caballé's timbre easily put that of the stepped-down colours in the shade and always surpassed Joan Sutherland's veiled tone. There was a melancholic clarity in the soprano, the sharply contouring light characteristic of the Spanish plateau. Like most Spanish voices, noted Helen Mathiopoulos, Caballé's voice has a gusty timbre that makes it seem laced with a drop of alcohol. Rupert Christensen furthermore notes that Caballé's voice has all the vibrancy and her musicality the supple sense of rhythmic gravity that we associate with the Spanish. A less obvious comparison would be with Kirsten Flagstadt. Both have the quality of a huge cathedral organ with a vast range of stops, which cannot be hurried. André Tebeuf expressed this perfectly when he called Caballé's a slow voice, spreading out like the becalmed sea. Her singing is on the grandest scale, moulding vaults of sound filled with exquisite detail. She could pull out a phrase to heavenly lengths, moving effortlessly from dreamy pianissimo to a thrilling metallic top C. Fuller voiced than Zinka Milanov, more individual than Renata Tebaldi, more versatile than Leontine Price, and in the late 1960s and early 1970s regarded as a peerless singer of the Italian repertory who could do no wrong. Here is the aria Mercede Lette Amiche from Act 5 of Verdi's I Vespri Siciliani, preceded by an extract from an interview with conductor Zubin Mehta. When a person like Montserrat comes, who has qualities of music and of the utmost singing control, it's for us everything that we dreamed about that happens then. Montserrat was at home in both worlds, the great Italian spinto and the bel canto. Uh, not many people did that, maybe Callas. I heard this day when I remember, you forget to move your hands because you're so admiring uh, her on the stage. This is the most ideal Verdi singing you can imagine. 
Mercedes Lette Amiche from Act 5 of Verdi's I Vespri Siciliani with the Barcelona Symphony Orchestra there conducted by Gianfranco Massini and that recording from 1974. Caballé is regarded as a lyrical spento soprano with some coloratura ability, a combination rare enough to enable her to alternate such roles as Strauss's Ariadne or Wagner's Sieglinde with Rossini's Semiramide, sometimes within a fortnight. Her vocal range was such that she could produce a full low register, a warm middle, and a brilliant top. Vocally, her only real fault was a rather surprisingly weak trill, while her diction in French and English was not always faultless. As more than one vocal specialist has noted, Caballé's mastery lies in the exceptional adaptation of her vocal instrument to the demands of bel canto, total control over dynamics, unlimited capacity for filati, the numerous embellishments found in bel canto singing, extraordinary breath control, perfect mezza voce, and in the words of Helen Matheopoulos, her fabulous floated pianissimi and seamless soaring lyric phrasing. Describing his first live experience of hearing Caballé, Thomas Voigt, publisher of the specialist magazine Phonoforum, described her pianissimi as floating through the theatre with the weightlessness of a silk scarf, unbelievably gentle, yet filling the entire room. Let's hear what three other famous divas, Marilyn Horn, Dame Joan Sutherland, and Renee Fleming had to say about Caballé's voice. Montserrat's sound is, is legendary, and I do think that um, on top of that wonderful natural gift that she had, she worked very, very hard. Her wonderful vocal ability, her, her, her fabulous floated piano top notes, something we don't hear often enough these days. I don't believe there's any pianissimo in history that could match hers because 
uh, it's not just the fact that it's soft, it's the fact that there's something in the color and in the sound and the way she produces it that is pure magic. Here now is Visidarte from Act 2 of Puccini's Tosca. And this recording is rather remarkable, because as you'll hear shortly after the aria's climax, Cabello uses her phenomenal breath control to sing all the notes in one single breath, a marvellous feat that has rarely, if ever, been equaled by any other Tosca since. Carlo Felice Cellario conducts the Barcelona Symphony Orchestra.
That Caballé had great affection and admiration for Maria Callas is obvious in her many references to the iconic Greek soprano. The two became well acquainted in 1970, at a time when Callas was already living in semi-reclusion in Paris. Although poles apart in temperament, the two divas clicked on a musical level, and according to Caballé, their many conversations over the years centered on music, composers, and the art of interpretation. I think she felt a healthy envy of me as a woman, noted Caballé, because Maria had only success for a companion, and when her success waned, there was great loneliness. When she spoke to me, she came down from her pedestal as if she were a sister of mine. It was always a conversation between two women. It was never the diva or the singer speaking to me. It was always just Maria. By the time Callas named Caballé as her only true successor, days before her death in 1977, the Greek soprano had already witnessed Caballé triumph in the role of Norma. She had even gone so far as to send Caballé a pair of earrings that had been given to her by Lucchino Visconti on the occasion of her La Scala performances of Norma in 1955, and which she had worn in all subsequent assumptions of the role. According to several writers, this simple gesture marked an unspoken acknowledgement on Callas's part that the torch had already been passed on to Caballé. After Callas, Caballé became the leading interpreter of that Everest of soprano roles, Bellini's Druid priestess, Norma. The former editor of opera magazine, Rodney Milner, wrote, My terrible confession is that when I want to listen to Norma or Puritani, I listen to Caballé, not to Callas. It's the sound, the phrasing, and the incredible musicianship. I do think Bellini speaks through notes, not words, and so in that sort of music she's unbeatable, really. Caballé considers the single-night performance of Norma, which she sang on July 20, 1974, at the open-air amphitheater of L'Orange in France, her finest operatic performance of her career. I don't think a voice that beautiful ever sang Norma, noted one critic. There were other great Normas, but they didn't have a voice like she did. Here is Casta Diva from Bellini's Norma.
Casta Diva there, followed by Abello Ame Ritorna from Bellini's Norma, as sung, of course, by Montserrat Caballé, and with the London Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Carlo Felici Cilario in that 1965 recording. Caballé recorded not only the title role in Norma for RCA in the 1970s, but also the role of Adelgisa to Joan Sutherland's Norma in the 1984 studio recording conducted by Sutherland's husband, Richard Bonning, for Decca, a feat not equaled by any other soprano on record. Caballé's performance as Adelgisa is also noteworthy as it is one of only a handful of recordings of Norma that featured a soprano in the role of Adelgisa, which is traditionally sung by a mezzo-soprano. The recording is arguably the finest of Caballé's 1980s recordings, a triumph for a soprano well into middle age at the time. The most outstanding single merit of this Norma, noted the esteemed critic John Steen, is Caballé's performance as Adelgisa. She defines the vocal character and sings consistently within it. In the duets with Norma, the voices are finely matched, their individuality sufficiently matched to be distinct, the sympathetic quality common to both making for a natural blend, with Caballé at no disadvantage in taking the lower part. In her solos, she phrases with the kind of breath one dreams about, and her opening verse of Mira o Norma is surely as beautiful as any ever heard. Let's listen now to the second act duet, Mira o Norma, and its cabaletta, Si Finolore Estreme, from that famous 1984 recording, featuring Dame Joan Sutherland as Norma and Montserrat Caballé as Adalgisa. The orchestra of the Welsh National Opera is conducted by Richard Bonning.
Dame Joan Sutherland and Montserrat Caballé, they're singing the duet Mira o Norma from Bellini's opera Norma. Richard Bonning conducting the orchestra of the Welsh National Opera in that 1984 recording. In 1973, to the shock and surprise of everyone in the opera fraternity, Caballé suddenly announced in Opera News that she would be retiring, explaining that she could no longer bear the periods of separation from her husband and daughter. Fortunately, this never happened, but since that time, according to Rupert Christensen, Caballé's singing seemed to have lost its moorings, even though she continued to give many ravishing and memorable performances after that, and even on an off night could produce vocal splendours that none of her contemporaries could match, all regularity and reliability seemed to have been lost. She started the habit of cancelling engagements, often flying back to Barcelona and causing considerable irritation to those left behind. At the time, Caballé was observed to be smoking heavily, and her voice would sometimes exhibit an unpleasant brassy vibrato and a loss of her miraculous control. It was as though she knew perfectly what she wanted to do, but couldn't quite do it, and the undertaking of heavy roles such as Norma and Turandot could not have contributed to its preservation. Like many of her musical colleagues who had to cope with prolonged periods of ill health, Caballé attributes her remarkable recovery from a string of illnesses and seven operations, including one on her knees, major surgery to remove a huge but benign tumoral mass from her abdomen, two operations on her kidneys, and her second heart attack backstage in Vienna in 1983, in part to the therapeutic powers of music. In 1985, she collapsed with a brain tumour for which she had to undergo intensive laser treatment. Not knowing yet whether she was completely cured, Caballé had to make a crucial decision whether to continue singing or not. I thought, come what may, I want to go on with my music, she stated. I am a big woman, 103 kilograms. Terrible, but true, yet I feel wonderful, she noted. The prospect of never singing again made me realize and appreciate more intensely things I used to take for granted. Every day, every performance now seems like a gift, a reward. My husband Barnaby says, Good, because you always had it too easy. Easy, I exclaim. Well, finally you appreciate what you were born with, he said. And I think he is right. Here is a rather humorous clip of Caballé talking about his statuesque figure. Uh, you, you, you talk very freely and very unselfconsciously about your size. And this I find... <laughs> If well, I may say so, Charlie. Very well. It's not a secret. But it's very rare that a singer can talk about it as as freely and with humour like you. Yes. Have you found it a problem? Some of the parts, after all, that uh, that you sing or that you have to sing or that you might want to sing. Well, the big problem is Salome. You see. Ah. I you recorded Salome. I recorded. But you've but never sang it on stage. Oh yeah, many times. Oh, you have. Before I was like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I sang in Wien, I, in the Staatsoper. Yes. I sang in Düsseldorf. I sang in Bremen too, and in Basel. The first time was in Basel, and in Brussels. So in many places. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a role that I like it very much. Mm. Anyway, in my actual position, <laughs> it is difficult to play in stage. Well, that uh, will be like a humoristic Salome. <laughs> but I hope with the years, perhaps I will be a little smaller. You I can believe, do it again. You don't believe in, so to speak, matching the size to the part by, say, losing some of uh, your weight? 
Well, I am afraid, you see. I mean, I was very small before, mm -hmm. as you know, and then I, I was ill, and I have to make a two years long cure, and I was after like that. And the doctor says it's not worry about, it's only provisorish. <laughs> After you are good, you can be the same again. But that was not. <laughs> and I am afraid, well, you see, I am, I know, think uh, can be good for the boys yeah. to lose 20 okay. or the 30 pounds. Yeah. Can be dangerous. I am sure I tried that when my boys begin to be... <laughs> under the cliff. <laughs> we like you the way you are. <laughs> Next, here is Caballé together with Marilyn Horn in the duet Giorno d'Aurore from Act Two of Rossini's Semiramide in a legendary performance of this opera from the Festival of Aix-en-Provence recorded in 1980. The conductor is Jesus Lobos Cobos and this recording, as I mentioned, was recorded in 1980 live at the Festival of Aix-en-Provence. Thank you. 
Some thrilling singing there from Marilyn Horn and Montserrat Caballet in that Act Two extract from Rossini's Semiramide, recorded live at the 1980 Festival of Aix-en-Provence. One of the most common complaints lodged against Caballet by her detractors is the quantity versus sustained quality of her performances and recorded output. She has often been accused of singing everything, everywhere, and many critics have argued that she did too much, too often, too little prepared and in too many places. In 1979 alone, for example, Caballé's stage roles in order of singing included Maria Stuarda, Tosca, Leonora in Forza del Destino, Elizabeth de Valois, Mina in Aroldo, Zalome, Norma, Elizabeth I in Roberto de Vereux, Gioconda, Turandot and Madalena in Andrea Chenier. And in between the Zalumes and Normas, she recorded back-to-back for EMI Alvira in Ipuritani and Santuzza in Cavalleria Rusticana, both under Riccardo Muti. Caballé's frenetic pace of activity often resulted in her less-than-assiduous sense of preparation. Colleagues have often been astounded by the fact that she arrives at rehearsals not knowing her scores. Indeed, a German colleague was flabbergasted when Caballé arrived for her first rehearsal of Isolde at the Lithio in Barcelona in 1989 and didn't know her lines. I admired her guts, he noted. Rodney Milner, former editor of Opera magazine, wrote of Caballé's Kleinborn debut. When she turned up at Kleinborn to make her debut as the Marshalin in Der Rosengavalier, she didn't even know the role. Everyone went into an absolute panic, but she didn't. She simply learnt it in a couple of days and did it. It was absolutely lovely. I don't think she knew what the opera was about, but she sang it wonderfully. The Marshalin, for example, was the first time I sang the Marshalin. Was it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I have not uh, too much time to prepare there. Mm-hmm. And I came to Brian with very, very bad 
uh, miming on myself. <laughs> anyway, I came and to the first rehearsal. I remember I'm sitting down there very afraid. I don't tell anybody. And Maestro Pritchard, John Pritchard was there. And after the second or the third bar I sang, he stopped it. And he says, I'd like to speak with you alone. Mm -hmm. So we go in one little place. And he says, you not know the part, <laughs> madame. <laughs> and I says, no, it's <laughs> true. I have too much to learn that I have came here and I don't know the part. And that was on the 22 of April. And the premiere was 16 of May. And uh, I say, uh, I'm sorry, so you have to replace you to take another thing. Oh, good. I say, no, 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 no. I learned. Mm -hmm. I learned that part. But this is impossible. How you can learn the marshalling? You know, that's a role. That you say, well, you never understand what that for a role is, he says. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, and that's normal. That's true. That's the truth. I know it's not. <laughs> but I was very... Uh, I say I have a contract and I want to do please let me try for an, one week and after one week you decide it of you accepted me or not and in between you look for another singer up when I'm not prepared the other singer do that role so that was and uh, we rehearsed I was rehearsing I was not sleeping all that week, uh -huh. I promise to you. I, I was not sleeping. I was day and night learning and learning and learning <laughs> so that finally I closed my eyes. I only see knots. <laughs> what is terrible. And I have the recordings, I remember, in a little house. We have uh, taken it in Glenmore and I play all the time, all the time, all the time, <laughs> you see, by eating everything. So after one week, we, re we rehearse again was not uh, Parker, not a memoir, no. But many things, yes. But everything was okay. So my uh, preacher says to me, uh, you see, I, I never have thinking you can do it. But today I have to say you do it. And for me it was very pleasant to read all the reviews after. But Caballé didn't only sing wonderfully, she also knew how to thrill audiences through sheer vocal excitement. Here she is in the final scene from Verdi's Don Carlo, where in this live performance from the Arena di Verona, recorded in 1969, Caballé miraculously holds her final note for 22 seconds. As one commentator noted, Caballé creates a tableau that is unparalleled in its vocal power and musical intensity. Singing alongside her is Piero Capuccilli, and this recording, as I mentioned, live from 1969. <laughs> 
Critics agree that Caballé's weakest point is her interpretive ability. According to some writers, her extremely reserved style of acting is a result of her physical limitations, which she feels would render attempts at graphic acting ridiculous. As an actress, she noted, I cannot make impressive gestures, but the few gestures I can make are sincere, and the public realize this. As a result, Caballé's characterizations throughout her career have been done predominantly through vocal acting, expressive phrasing, subtle coloring, and dynamic shading. In recital, Caballé's personal charm and humor found an appropriate platform, delighting most listeners, but also offending a few. The director of the Metropolitan Opera Archives, Robert Tuggle, once noted that although Caballé was wonderful in recital, there would always come a moment at the end of the program when it became a little more than a wrestling match, where everybody in the audience was encouraged, if they knew the name of an aria, to scream it out loud. Caballé would laugh and the audience would laugh, and no, they didn't want Casta Diva, they wanted God knows what. It made the three tenors seem dignified, Tuggle recalled. Ira Sif also noted that there were very often moments of high camp absurdity in Caballé's recitals. I will never forget, he once wrote, Caballé sight-reading castanet parts from a music stand as she made her way rather haltingly through Nin's five popular Andalusian songs, singing and clicking away. With her hands full, one wondered how she would negotiate the inevitable page turn, something I never discovered as I tend to laugh with my eyes closed. Despite mixed feelings about the nature of her recitals, Caballé's contribution to the art of leader singing, and in particular her interpretations of the songs of Schubert, Strauss, and the many songs by Spanish composers that she championed, remains an often overlooked, though important part of her artistic legacy, and an important showcase of her versatility. When a CD was compiled to accompany the publication of Caballé's biography Casta Diva some years ago, some commentators were surprised at the inclusion of a couple of Schubert Lieder, including Dubistiru. The inclusion of these Lieder demonstrated something fundamental about the nature of her art. Lucy Arne, assistant conductor at the Metropolitan Opera, had the following to say about Caballé's Lieder singing. A musicologist could sit down and write a ten-page critique of what's wrong with Caballé's performance of Dubistiru, and it simply doesn't matter at all. If you need to explain Caballé to somebody, you play that rendition. Then you play five other totally correct, wonderful, expressive recordings that don't have a tenth of what it has. The weight of the silences throughout the song, the moments in which the rests are greater than the roar of anybody, that silence and those pianissimos have a weight and a tension and a sound in and of themselves. It's an art-defining moment.
Schubert's Du bist die Rue, as sung there by Montserrat Caballé, with Miguel Zanetti at the piano in that 1963 recording. Caballé admits that Strauss remains her favourite composer. He was the last of the romantics, she once noted, and I love him very much. His music has great delicacy and fragility, but there is always this grandiose oceanic element in his orchestrations. 
It always makes me think of the sea because of the way it flows, swells, and ebbs. One moment it is dark, the next moment it is light. The voice alternates between floating on the surface and submerging itself in the sound. Ever since my days in Basel, I have loved Strauss very much and made some important debuts in Strauss operas. Here is Caballé's stunning version of Strauss's Morgan. The pianist again is Miguel Zanetti and this recording from 1964.
Richard Strauss's Morgan, Opus 27, number 4, sung there by Montserrat Caballé with Miguel Zanetti at the piano. In later years, having never officially retired from the opera and concert stage, Caballé maintained a busy performance schedule, continuing to assume new roles. In 2002, she sang Catherine of Aragon in St. Sansa's Henry VIII, and in 2004, the title role in Massenet's Cleopatra, both at the Lathieu Opera House in Barcelona. In 2007, she appeared in the non-singing cameo role of the Duchess of Krakenthorpe in Donizetti's Daughter of the Regiment at the Vienna State Opera. Apart from opera, Caballé serves as a UNESCO Goodwill Ambassador and has created a foundation for underprivileged children in Barcelona. The proceeds from her annual concert she donates to the various charities and foundations that she supports. Caballé's career, which spans more than four decades, includes almost 4,000 opera, concert and recital performances, and her almost unlimited repertoire includes more than 90 opera roles. If one includes symphonic music, oratorio and liturgical music, she can claim more than 140 roles, while her song repertoire exceeds 800 works. She has made 34 complete studio opera recordings, and there are at least 50 more pirated recordings of 37 works, 32 of which she never recorded commercially. In addition, she has committed to disc countless arias, song and tartuella, Spanish operetta song recitals, popular and musical theatre songs. Following in the footsteps of Maria Callas, she has probably done more than most other opera singers in putting little-known operas on the map, including works by Gluck, Rossini, Spontini, Massenet, and even several early and somewhat unknown Verdi operas, including Il Corsaro and Aroldo. She has even crossed over into the realm of pop and electronic music through collaborations with the late Freddie Mercury and composer Vangelis. All my life I have wanted to be a great artist, Montserrat Caballé once confided to Robert Jacobson. I am not one. I am a singer with a beautiful voice, but I have always done my best, wherever I have found myself, to serve my country, my career and my music, in order to feel proud and walk through life clean. With all the operations, all the difficulties, the many enemies, but also the millions of friends, and the greatest friend is the music. It is not implausible to say that Caballé will be listed in the annals of operatic history as the possessor of perhaps the most beautiful voice of her age. On behalf of everyone at Fine Music Radio, we wish her a very happy 80th birthday. Well, that brings us to the end of tonight's program of Great Interpreters. If you enjoyed this broadcast, you can download a copy from www.onandofftherecord.com. You can also make contact with me at adrian at onandofftherecord.com. Playing us out tonight is Montserrat Caballé and Freddie Mercury singing Barcelona, a hit single in 1988 and later the anthem of the 1992 Summer Olympics hosted by Caballé's native city of Barcelona. From me, Adrian Fuchs, have a wonderful weekend. Good night.
Hello. 